Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a 14-year Major League veteran and current broadcaster for the Kansas City Royals, the Wonder Dog, Rex Hudler. All right, play ball! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a 14-year big league veteran. In 1999, he headed up to the booth, broadcast booth with the LA Angels, and currently is a broadcaster with the Kansas City Royals. Ladies and gentlemen, the wonder dog, Rex Hudler. Rex, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, I'm so proud to hear from you. And I'm looking forward to this. I know it's going to be it's going to be entertaining at the least. Uh, right out of the shoot, what was the Wonder Dog like as a kid? By the way, how did we come up with the Wonder Dog? I always wanted to know that. Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, I'm glad that you're going to let me share uh, the game and my life with you. Uh, uh, Chris Berman, fa- uh, famous ESPN broadcaster. Uh, back in his day, would do all the highlights and replays. And, and you know, Rex's name is a, is a dog's name. If you look back in the elementary school books back in the 60s, maybe in the 50s, it was uh, instead of spot, it was Rex. See Rex run, fetch. So Berman, when you know, I accidentally made a highlight reel or something, and he called me the Wonder Dog. And so that kind of stuck a little bit. Then got to play in St. Louis, which was a huge blessing, three seasons at Jack Buck and and Mike Shannon gave me some nicknames there. Uh, they called me Head First Huddler because I was always diving in. And then when I dove, the dirt flying everywhere. Shannon called me Hurricane Huddler. So it was a lot of fun, and I heard a lot of less flattering names uh, in my career, Brett. But but it's been fun to get to play five years in the American, five in the National, and uh, get to play a year in Japan. And and man, I, I, the greatest thing that ever happened to me is I met my wife of 34 years in October coming up. So that was a huge blessing. Four kids, uh, gosh, went from the booth to, I mean, right from the field to the booth and have been broadcasting ever since because I love sharing baseball with our fans, man. It, baseball it, is life. It's so much about life. Every day you got to get your lunch pail and go to work and, and have lunch and, and, and bring your lunch and, and, and work hard and, Keep working. You know, Booney, as a big leaguer, if you don't work, you're done. So that's just just the way of the fabric of America is. We work. Everybody works for a living. They go hard. They pay their dues. And, and by golly, in baseball and Major League especially, what a huge blessing to be uh, compensated like that, getting to play in front of big crowds, staying in Four Seasons hotels and Ritz-Carlton's. It doesn't get no better, Booney, and I appreciate you letting me share some of this. <laughs> no, and I've I've enjoyed Rex over the years. You know, we've we've uh, crossed paths quite a bit. You know, especially in the early two thousands when you're in Seattle, it was always it was always fun seeing you at the ballpark because I know. I mean, it, this is your passion. This is what you love, and and it comes out through your work. I, I love listening to you. You know, and I you know as as players when we do something on the field. Uh, we're always looking for, oh, we got to, especially back then when we didn't just have everything at our fingertips on these phones we have. Back then, you had to go into the video room and find it. But we'd be playing the Angels, and if I did something, 
Oh, I couldn't wait. And you were always on the call, you know, and I'd always hear, <laughs> I'd say, listen to Rex go, listen to Rex go. But it was fun. And and, and the Wonder Dog is a funny thing to me because everybody always says Wonder You know, and I just take it for what it is. Like, oh, yeah, that's his name. No, his name is Rex Hudler. But I'm always curious on, on where these names come from because we all get them tagged on us. But uh, getting it from Berman, pretty cool. A little, little later this afternoon, we're doing Andre Dawson and, and you know, it's the Hawk. Where did the Hawk come from? Uh, I have a little bit of an idea where it came from, but I, I always, uh, I think it's cool to, to find out where these nicknames came from. You're um, having Hawk on the same day as me. Come we on, got man. We got Hudler and I'm the not, Hawk back to back. I am not in Hawk's league at all. Now, I just missed him. I got uh, three, two and a half seasons with the Expos in, in 1988, 89, and then 90. I got traded to the Cardinals, but I just missed Hawk over there. But, man, his legend lived. Uh, and, and, you know, he was probably the earlier 80s uh, than I was. But, but still, Tim Raines and Hubie Brooks and all those guys would be telling Hawk stories all the time. What a legend. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, Booney, is that, you know, when you get to stay in the game a long time, you get to meet so many different people, so many different stars, uh, their, their families, their wives, uh, you know, it's just stimulating. So every day when you go to the ballpark, it's a great day. You never know who you're going to run into, what you're going to see in baseball. And so I, I came up with a famous term, uh, and every day is a day in baseball. Now, how's that for analysis and quote right there? <laughs> every, booty, every day's a day. I'll look at my partner, Rhino, and I'll go, Rhino, today's the day. Because... You can't do anything about yesterday. The Royals almost got no hit, by the way, last night. Thank goodness they didn't because it's going to help us a little bit with our, with our swagger today when we come to the ballpark. But, man, <laughs> we never know what we're going to – we see stuff diff- every single game. There's something I've never seen before. That's the magic and the beauty of baseball. And then you, Brett, having three generations to have drawn from Ray, your, you know, your grandpa and – Bob, who I, 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 he, I was, he was one of my heroes. And then, and then of course your brother. And you know, that's amazing. The lineage that you guys have had. You've done it 20 years in the booth, uh, probably 20 years of your life, including the minor leagues, uh, on the field. And you're right. It is the greatest game in the world for me. Uh, I think, I think when I was playing in the middle of it and, and I see a lot of kids today and, and the younger players today, it's really tough to appreciate you have, what you have when you're on the field because we're grinding and we're not worried about appreciating looking around and smelling the roses. We're worried about, man, I got Pedro Martinez tonight and I got Roger Clements tomorrow night. And I've got too much in my mind to really sit here and appreciate it. Since I've stepped away from the game and I see it from a different perspective, I really have an appreciation for it. I was, I was so blessed in my upbringing and, and you mentioned grandpa, you know, grandpa's been gone for, for a while now, but man, that was my guy. And he was probably my earliest influence as a baseball player. You know, when I was one, two years old, Gramps was there and, and kind of gave me my, my crash course into baseball. And, and I took it from there ever since then. It's all I wanted to do, but definitely, definitely I've lived a, a, a blessed life. And now as I get up in my years, I can look back and really appreciate those times, not only my playing career, but growing up the way I grew up, you know, going to the ballpark with dad and Philly and, and in Anaheim later, uh, it's, it's just really cool. And, and I just try to instill that in my kids. Uh, some of my kids got to, 
I've got four, uh, but two of them got to grow up when I was still playing and come around the ballpark. And I made it a point to bring them as much as I could and, and give them the most uh, experience they could have. Cause I know it's a fleeting thing. It's not there forever. Uh, but yeah, what a great game. And, and I'm with you. It, it's, it's kind of instilled in us and, and we're just kind of dealt this hand that, that uh, baseball is going to be in your life and it's not going to go. I thought when I retired, I was just going to walk away and go off in the sunset, but here I am back uh, as a fan of the game now and, 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 you know, doing weekly shows and, and doing this podcast, getting to catch up with so many guys in the game and so many different capacities in the game, not just the players, but, but guys in the booth, guys that, that cover this for a living, uh, general managers, uh, agents. So it's really cool for me to, to, to get to touch all these different facets of the, of the game and, and people and, and where they work just, uh, and bring it all to the audience. So very cool for me. Um, I want to hear about it. Fresno, California, Rex Hudler as a little kid. What were you like? Well, you know what? Growing up in the, in the desert, basically, Fresno, hot climate, you know, central San Joaquin Valley, all the, we grew all the grapes and the, and the raisins for folks, you know, across the world, really. As an agriculture community, um, it was hot. I remember riding my bike to, to my Little League games. You know, that's back when, when you could trust people, you could drive. I was, you know, eight years old, nine years old. I remember coming home from my first practice, and I was, I was catching. And I was so excited about catching. I said, Mom, you won't believe it. I was in on every pitch. I got to put the gear on. I had my, my helmet, a face mask. And my mom, she said, Son, I hope you enjoyed it because you'll never catch again. Go out and find your position. Find you. You run. You like to run. Get out there. You'll you'll get dinged up. You'll never be the kind of athlete if you catch. So my very first day of baseball ever, my mom runs me out of the catcher spot, which now I love her for that. I became a, a utility type where, God, I could run. I, I love soccer. Soccer was my first love. And I, and I remember competing against uh, uh, other, other kids. And I, li- I loved winning. I loved competing and beating them. Whether it was in recess at school or in PE or wherever, I wanted to win. And so I remember in the fifth grade, I wrote my teacher a letter. And she wanted write, what are you going to be when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I don't know what sport, but I'm going to be a professional. And, and, you know, back then, 80% of the kids wrote that down too, all, all the guys anyway. So what happened? Just keep evolving, you know, and I happened to be raised in a, in a wonderful spot, which I had no control o- over. I had uh, uh, a, a great mother. My, my father, my natural father, uh, they divorced when I was eight. I became adopted by Hudler. My Hudler dad took us on, me and my two brothers, gave us his name, and then we went on, and, and, and uh, I enjoyed competing. I had tremendous coaches. Oh, man, was I fortunate. I had some of the best football coaching and, and baseball coaching. So I played soccer and football and baseball all the way until uh, I was a junior in high school. My mom says, again, my mom was a huge uh, leader for me, taught me discipline. Um, you know, both her and my dad were from Texas, so she was well-disciplined, and, you know, if I, I couldn't answer my mom, huh? If she, ever she called my name and I went, huh? Watch out for the backhand coming. Watch out for the forehand. Be careful how you talk. So I was taught respect. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. Uh, the, all those, those manners, which really 
uh, helped me so much as I had no idea I was going to become a professional baseball player. But my mom said my junior year, son, you played three sports. Why don't you eliminate one of them? Because you're going to be end up being good in all three, but not great in one or two. Come on, you're getting to be where you're going to – you have a chance to do something. So I said, Mom – I'm going to eliminate soccer. Soccer, there's just not much of a future here in America in soccer. This was 1978. So I focused on, on football and baseball, and, man, she was right again. Uh, I, got, I got 25 D1 uh, football offers. Uh, I took my five visitations. I went to, to Arizona State. I went to Cal Berkeley. I went to UCLA. And then I flew back east to go to Notre Dame, who had just won a national title in 77, the Cotton Bowl with Joe Montana. And then I went to, from there to Michigan State, where Kirk Gibson showed me around the campus. So this was all in my senior year. But early in the year, football was the first season, I mean, first sport of the season. And so I'm just like blown away by, by all this fun, all this traveling and doing things like that. And so uh, Dan Devine offered me a full ride, and I said, hey, Coach Devine, i got to go home and talk to my parents, but I certainly want to be a uh, fighting Irish um, and so I went home, talked to my parents, and called Coach Devine and said, hey, Coach, I'm in. So I had to take the uh, SAT test three different times to become eligible, Booney, because after my first SAT test back then, I caught 21 passes the night before my last game, and I was beat to heck. And, and then on a the, on the Saturday morning, I, I drug myself in there and took that SAT test. And, man, I don't even think I registered a score. It was pretty <laughs> <laughs> Coach Devine says, hey, kid, we got to have your numbers higher. So I took it once again, and then even again after that. And fortunately, the third time was a charm. And then now I'm playing baseball in the, in the, you know, late in the, uh, in the year, and I'm playing baseball for the fun of it. I'm going to be a football player. Um, I'm all excited about that. And I went out and played baseball and just had fun. And the phone that rang off the wall those days, we didn't have cell phones then, would be calling. And they were all the all baseball teams asking my mom, hey, is your kid draft eligible? We, he's, he's got a chance to be one of the top picks in the country. And she said, you'll waste your pick. He's going to Notre Dame. Don't, don't draft him. So day of, the, day of the draft comes home. I come home from school, normal day, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mom, did anybody call? And she goes, yeah, the damn Yankees drafted you. And I said, what? You said, Yankee? What did you tell them? I told them they wasted their pick. And I said, you told the Yankees that? Yes, I did, son. You know, they'll be back. They'll come back. Sure enough, a week goes by, nothing. No, no call. I said, Mom, way to go. You scared the New York Yankees off. And then they called and said, hey, we're coming to town. Al Rosen, Vice President, George Steinbrenner's right-hand man, Jack Butterfield. And they showed up in Fresno at my little house there. And, and my mom, the minute they came to the door, I shook their hands and looked them in the eyes and said, hey, how you guys doing? My mom said, okay, son, go get a calzone now uh, and come back in 45 minutes. So I was like, wow, I guess she don't want me to hear. So I left, obeying my mom, and then I came back, knocked on my own front. My own front door was locked. I, I, I opened the door. My mom says, congratulations, son, you're a Yankee. So she she negotiated with the Yankees because I, I couldn't have an agent because I, I, I had a full ride into uh, college. It would have ruined my eligibility. So my mom negotiated the deal. The, the football thing was off. I said, okay, mom, will you call coach divine and tell him I signed with the Yankees? She goes, no, you call him. You're 17 <laughs> years old. You do it. 
And I was like, oh, everything tightened up on me. I didn't want to have to call Coach Devine. After him calling me, having to take the SAT test three different times. And so I called him, and I'm thinking he's going to be upset and angry with me because back then when you burned a scholarship, they didn't get it back. They lost it. So I did a lot of quick talking. Hey, Coach Devine, Rex Hudler from Fresno, California. Hey, Rex, I heard the news. I heard that, you're, you, that George Steinbrenner was your you were his number one pick. You've got to take the money, son. You can't turn that down. You can always come back to Notre Dame. And I went, oh, my gosh, what a classy man. Thank you, Coach Devine. And then that was it. My amateur career was over. I turned pro at 17, and I went into a school of hard knocks. And instead of a Notre Dame degree, I got a worldly degree, a worldly degree on failure, how to handle failure, how to deal, how to be in a number one pick. It's been six years in A-ball, 10 years in the minors, and then never giving up, never quitting, and then moving on through baseball in the big leagues was a, was a beautiful thing, Booney. There it is. It's all said and done right there. You asked me one question, and I took care of all of them. Oh, I love it. Makes my job easy. But when your mom negotiated, this is a pretty, well, it's a pretty awesome story. But the fact that you came back and like you said, you'd been, your upbringing was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And that's, hey, if mom says this is the deal, this is the deal. How did you feel like as a 17 year old, you're excited, you're going to Notre Dame, the Irish, you know, all that history. And all of a sudden, mom says, nope, you're a professional baseball. Now, being a first-round pick, uh, pretty awesome in itself. And then add add on top of that, it's the Yankees. It's 1978. Um, were you all right with it, going off to the minor leagues? Oh, heck yeah. See, I was always excited about the, the sport I just finished. So um, I, was, I was ready to be a pro. Soccer gave me a foundation with speed. I could run. I could run. I had good hands. Um, I always played baseball, or I played all kinds of sports when school was out, like we all did back then. We didn't have video games, thankfully. We weren't distracted with phones. We were distracted with everything. So typically, an alpha male boy, he's going to go out and find pickup games. He's going to play tackle football. He's going to bloody his nose. Um, I'm going to twist an ankle or two. I'm going to develop some toughness, uh, some schoolyard toughness, uh, all that that bode well with me competing at the, at the highest level in a game of physical contact back then, getting blown up at second base, blowing guys up, uh, breaking up double plays. I mean, it was right up my alley. A little bit of physical, a little bit of football in, in, in that, and a little bit of skill uh, with your footwork, hand-eye coordination, and the baseball uh, you have to have to play that. And just love competing, Booney. And I remember going back to Fresno, uh, California, and the great football coach there, Jim Sweeney, a Fresno State Bulls. Uh, he's passed now. But he, he, after six years in A-ball, he says, hey, kid, you can come back. Baseball's not going to work for you. Come back and catch passes from Kevin, my son, Kevin Sweeney, right here in Fresno. You'll be a star running down the sidelines. We get 40,000 people a game. You'll be a, a rock star. I'll scholarship you at 21 years old. And I said, coach, Gosh, that's really, really awesome. Thank you so much for that. But I turned down the fighting Irish coach, and I know you're Irish. 
and I turned them down. That's the best school in the country, and I'm going to make it in baseball. So thank you for the opportunity. So as I walked out of that door, Booney, out of his door, I felt really a sense of pride that the fact that he would, he still thought that much of me to scholarship me. But then I started just threw another big log on that internal fire of I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it to the big leagues, and I'm going to get not just a cup of coffee. I'm going to have a 10-year career. So the mind is uh, is a strong thing, the mind. I don't know why they're calling my, my room right here. But anyway, don't worry about it. Hey, uh, Booney, it was a lot of, it was a, a lot of work, a lot of, uh, coming back, you know, but, the, but see, I was George Steinbrenner's first number one pick. He bought the team from CBS in 1973. And then, um, in 1978, he happened to finally get a first round pick and I was that guy. So I was supposed to be Jeter, but man, I, I was nowhere ready. I was so immature high school guys, man. I, I mean, mentally, physically. I had some skills, no doubt about it. Being drafted ahead of Cal Ripken Jr., Brett, can you believe that? That that would have changed Yankee history had they taken Cal Ripken Jr. with the 18th pick overall. Instead, he went the second round. How about that? You had you had quite a draft. That was quite a draft. <laughs> yeah. There were some who, pretty who, good players in that draft. There were some real good players. I was going over the names. I'm sure you know them better than I do. But I, I remember glancing at that draft. I'm going, this is a pretty good draft right here. Some big boys in it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it, it was uh, it was very uh, uh, flattering at the time. But I remember just coming home and people saying, gosh, you ever going to make it? You know, and they just didn't realize how hard it was and how, how, how many, many players from all over the world competing and all trying to get a 25 spot on 30 teams, 25 men. It's not many guys make a big league roster. I mean, you got to be really good. So it just took time and time and not give it up. And I remember I saw a little crack through the door uh, into the big leagues and I just bursted through. Uh, I, 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 wasn't, uh, I wasn't intimidated anymore. Uh, my first couple of cups of coffee with the Yankees, I'm seeing a curveball from Mike Boddicker that just fell out of the sky. I never seen anything like it, even in the wiffle ball in the backyard. I'm seeing these, these, these great pitches. And man, I was intimidated. I was scared. I was swinging out of my bungee hole. It was terrible. Uh, trying to survive in the big leagues, man, was, was going to be a, a really tough chore. But, man, you know what? After, after getting beat down a little bit, being sent back to the minors and back and forth, finally I'm getting married. I started, I got engaged to Jennifer and I went, uh oh, now, now I'm going to take on somebody else in my life. Not just me anymore. It's, it's now I gotta, I gotta, she's, she's used to nice things. We want to have kids. Oh my gosh, Hud, you're 28 years old. Let's go. It's not too late. So that gave me the edge to go over. And when I got out there on the big league field, I started looking around saying, who's the biggest names out there? Ozzy Smith. Good. I'm going to nail your ass. Uh, Ryan Sandberg, I'm coming after you too. It's it's my turn now. You're going to know my name by the time this game's over. So when I went out there like that, got in the batter's box, my family against yours, it's that pitcher, it changed everything. I turned it a level up, and then I was able to hold my head above water in the big leagues and become a guy. And a guy, not a guy like you were, or not a guy like your brother. I was kind of a of a utility-type guy. Uh, could fix it here or there, but don't overexpose me. Uh, don't don't play me a week in a row, or or don't don't you know maybe once twice a week is good. I can fill in different spots, but I was able to make that a career out of that, Booney. And so I'm really proud 
uh, recently that Major League Baseball came out and said, hey, we're going to make a gold glove for a utility-type player. And that's so so uh, uh, classy and so welcomed in this game. Uh, did you see that, Booney? Are you proud of that, too? Yeah, I just saw that a couple of days ago. I think it's cool. I, I you know, because I, I ride the fence here with all the new rules. You know, I'm a purist at heart, and I'd like to keep things as much as we can. You, you're, you're making my juices flow right now by talking about taking out runners at second or taking out the second baseman on a double play. Because as a second baseman, I took a lot of pride in that. That's what separated the 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 great second basements from the average second basements. When they're bearing down, when Rex Hudler's coming at me as hard as he can with the game on the line, and I turn that double play and let him slide by with the game on the line, that's what separates the great second basements from the average second base. So when I hear, you know, I like to, I, I hate to see stuff like that go away. But I think also with time comes... Uh, a little more knowledge and technology. So I do like some of the things they're doing to make the game better, to grow the game, to get more people involved. And I did see that gold glove. I think it's cool. Now you've got the utility players, you know, in my career, one of my favorite guys, and he ended up getting 16 years in the big leagues. One of my favorite teammates to date uh, was Willie Bloomquist. He was that super utility player that, that hung in there and grinded it out. I think he was a number one pick as well. And he ended up getting 16 years in the big league. So, so to see guys like like him get an opportunity to win something like a gold glove, yeah, I think it's really cool and it's great for the game. Yeah, the mighty Bloomquist, we called him from the Angel broadcast booth. Yeah, remember he, he used was, to he he was yeah. our he was our secret weapon against uh, Washburn. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, he would nail him lefty. He, he had some great games against the Angels. It was so fun watching uh, you guys compete, especially back in 01 when you guys had that team. Uh, you know, Ichiro was a rookie. I mean, that was man, that was stimulating. That team was great. I forgot the overall record you had. What did you win, 106 games? 116. Oh, my bad. I was close. Yeah, <laughs> come on, Rex. Get it right. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Hey, hey, so that was so fun tracing in there. And then, of course, you know, getting that new field at Safeco. I mean, because it's been so much evolved over the years, and 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 what a blessing to have been a part of some of that, and and breaking in the majors in eight, in the early eighties, uh, early mid eighties, when there was still Kaminsky Field and Tiger Stadium, still you know Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, still some of the old uh, ballparks and, and the cookie cutter ballparks of the seventies. Um, was good to be a part of that. Now that those are all gone, and they've all re, re, you know built new stadiums. It's just a huge blessing, Brett, to have been able to, to witness all that and played in all those old places and now getting to still be, be in the game broadcasting, going around to these places, seeing a lot of the same people, cameramen and everything. And it makes me feel good because, Brett, when I was coming up as a player, I had good big league uh, veteran guys that mentored me. I'm, I'm hopeful that the game still passes the game on with veteran guys. But Dave Winfield, Ken Griffey, Willie Randolph, those guys all took extra time with me. And they always encouraged me and to, to, to look at the future and look what you're doing here. Be kind to people because you never know when you're going when you're going to come back to this stadium again. If you're nice to people and you're kind to the usher, the guy who, who parks your car, who lets you in, stop and, and give those guys some, some time. Pay the tip the bad boy. An extra hundred bucks after a four-game series. That'll make his week or his month. He'll be thrilled. Doing little things around the ballpark to be kind and to not be known as a cheap big leaguer, 
that was huge for me. I was into passing that on as I, as I got to play into my late 30s with the Phillies, and Terry Francona hired me to babysit the young Scott Rollins. And, and some of these, you know, he had 21, uh, 12 rookies at least. I mean, a whole team full of rookies. And to be able to share the importance of being a veteran and, and what that's like and, and, and respect those before you. And now, Booney, 20 years after that, I'm still coming to the same ballpark and I'm out living all the parking attendants now. But I, I, whenever I stop, I roll down my window, hey, guys, how you doing? Great to see you. Never, ever, ever uh, missing a moment to, to make somebody feel good, to at least stop and acknowledge somebody. Uh, and sometimes they look at you like you're a, a star, but heck, I'm no, I'm no star. I'm a blue-collar worker, uh, just a, an average baseball guy. And, and, but if, by golly, if I can make you feel good, that makes me feel good. And, 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 and people that come to baseball games, they leave their problems in their cars, and they come to the yard. And so do I. What, 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 what more of a beautiful place to go to work? The people are happy. I mean, it's easy to love on people when they're happy. And, and we're getting ready to see a baseball game. So, Booty, I'm, I'm full of it uh, in a lot of different ways, but, man, mainly joy. The joy that comes from the Lord in my heart, but also uh, all those who came before me in the, in the grand game, those who made it easy for me. Heck, I set the bench and made a million bucks because of guys like Rod Carew, great players back in their day who never made a million dollars. They worked, they held on, they held on, they struck for us. All of that, all that whole respect thing, it, believe me, I carry to me today when I'm, I'm in my 60s. And, and I and I continue to feel uh, thankful and, and 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 blessed to be able to come to the baseball park. I think you, you're right too about how you treat other people, and especially when you when you're playing and you, when you have that uniform on. And I still today, you know, the guys that the, the clubhouse attendants and traveling secretaries and and guys on in the visiting clubhouses that you visit. You know, I always tried to. To, tried to treat everybody very well. And, and years later, uh, I still have those relationships and, yeah. and, and good relationships because of that. You crack me up when you say, don't be a cheap big legger. No, nobody, nobody likes to years later. Hey, I, I was at Rex Hudler when he played. I was a cheap bastard. <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants to say that, you know? So, no. so I get, I get what you're saying with that. Yeah. Um, so, Booney, Booney, wait. So, so, remember, remember when you would go into a visiting locker room and into visiting park? They had, a, they always had a locker for the star guy, you know, for the big, for the big player, the big star of the team. And so, later in my career, when I was, you know, in my in my mid late thirties, uh, they were putting me in that locker, and I would stop before I before I would uh, put my bag down. I'd go, "Hey, fellas, uh, this ain't uh 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 uh, uh this this ain't right here." Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not putting my stuff in this locker. And they would just shake their head and laugh and say, no, HUD, we put you there. So you that's it. what you want. That's what you want. If you, you know, to, if you get to play a long time, you want to be respected. You want to be able to, to gain respect. And you know what I found out, Booney? If you don't give respect, you don't get respect. So when you give and you give respect and you love on others, it all comes back to you. Without a doubt. Uh, you get your first shot, Yankees in 84, 85. And this is what I found pretty awesome uh, in your story. You played for some really interesting guys. I mean, how many guys out there say, my, my first skipper was Yogi Berra? And then it followed that up with Billy Martin. 
Uh, and that was your two Yankee years. You know, you came up with Mattingly and and Jose Rio, who was a teammate of mine before he was a, he was that great Reds pitcher, Necro and Gidry, and you mentioned Winfield and Randolph. But Yogi Berra, Billy Martin, and correct me if I'm wrong, you get traded to the Orioles uh, for the 86 season. Earl Weaver, are those your first three managers? First three, buddy. Way to go. Pretty, what a, pretty what awesome. What a thrill. And, give me, and, give me a little like, bit about those three, because these guys are yeah, yeah. these guys are almost fictional characters, you know? Like, no, they didn't really exist. They're just on TV in those old footage. Yeah, and so rarely can you use first name only, to, and, and, and people know who it is. So Yogi was, was incredible. Uh, we were in a restaurant in Fort Lauderdale. That's where the Yankees trained. Me and Matt Winters, another number one pick. We were young. Uh, we were invited to camp. We're probably, you know, 21 years old or what. And we're standing in a restaurant w- w- in our street clothes, and we see Yogi and his wife sitting at a table uh, across the restaurant. We see him over there, and, and then, you know, no big deal. We, next thing you know, we're talking, and then he shows up. Here's Yogi. He comes up to us. He sees us, and he knew our names, and I'll never forget that. He, he, knew, he knew our names. Hey, Matt. Hey, Rex. How you doing, man? Yogi, you know, and, and that's, and he introduced himself to us. This was like before, you know, two days before camp. Um, but the fact that he, a man of that stature knew our names impressed me to death. And then going out and watching him, he was always kind. He loved his players. He made them feel special. Uh, and then there was a, the, the, the players all loved him. <clears throat> and then when they traded him, I mean, when they fired him the next year, when, when uh, Steinbrenner fired him, the players and they brought Billy back that did not go over well in the clubhouse Don Baylor and all these veteran players they didn't like Billy and so it was <laughs> Billy hired Willie Horton he hired Willie Horton to be his his uh one of his coaches but he could be inside the clubhouse when he was in there to protect him so he knew Billy knew that the veterans didn't like him so sure enough I mean don't go in 1985 I mean it was interesting Ed Whitson had come over uh, in a, in a, as a free agent from San Diego, was a big star pitcher there. Billy, he, uh, Whitson couldn't get out of the first inning a lot of times. Uh, Billy would go get him and wouldn't let him pitch out of his jam, you know. He would, he would go get him. So he was, Whitson was pissed at Billy. And then I remember he saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick his butt and I'm going to do all. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. Sure enough, Whitson and Martin get into a fight after a game in a bar. Uh, it was a soap opera, man. It was so, so radical. Uh, uh, you know, my eyes were all just wide open. Back then, rookies, keep your mouth shut. You're just all ears and eyes. And I remember watching that stuff. And, and, uh, but, but what was great was that those veteran players, they, they, there was no rookie hazing with the Yankees because they never had any rookies there. It, Steinbrenner always bought the, t- the players, so there was no young guys on the team except for Donnie Baseball, Donnie Mangley and me, and Scott Bradley. But they didn't. They didn't uh, uh, rookie haze us. They just loved on us, and that's that's what I learned a lot from that. Um, you 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 lead by love. Uh, you you lead guys by encouraging them. Tell them how good they are, and and then once you get them, now you got them. Once you once you you know you love on them. You know you, you attract bees with honey, uh, and so you so I, I keep loving on my guys. And Dave Winfield was loving on me, saying, "Hey kid, there's one thing guaranteed a ball player." I said, "What's that?" He goes, you'll be an X-ball player. I said, yeah. He goes, well, you're going to be an X-ball player a lot sooner than you think. I've seen you play. 
you're not that good. So look, here, kid, <laughs> let me just give you some advice. Just, just take the blinders off when you're around the ballpark here at Yankee Stadium. People come here, own, own corporations. They own businesses. You're going to need a job when you're done. So, so never, never shy away from shaking hands. And when they send you back to the minors, I'm sure that's where you're heading next again. You, you go down there and ask that PR guy if he needs a, a, a guy to speak at, at lunch. It's you're that guy. You raise your hand and you go and start sharing your story. Start talking. Start, start sharing. Everyone has a story and you never know what can happen. But start knowing, just knowing that, that you'll be an ex ball player someday. You'll need a job. And I just took that advice like, like he, when he was my father. And I'm going, man, thanks, big brother. I appreciate that. You know, that, that's huge. And so now, all these years later, whenever I see Dave, I hug him because I've gone on and been able to share my story and, and had fun and been broadcasting now for 22 years outside of my playing career. And so it's, it's just been uh, uh, an incredible uh, journey and, and an education a uh, worldly degree on how to handle people, how to deal with people, how to t- treat people with kindness and how, how to uh, really just, just mentor young people and, 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 and love on them. And the game has, has allowed that. So that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm so grateful. Moved on to the Orioles, Earl Weaver. You t- did you tell Rip when you got there? Did you tell him, uh, hey, oh, how could, how could they take oh, me in front I never, of you? I never let junior, I never let him down. And you know, I never could get him either. His second or short. He was too hard to get Booney. Plus he was six, four at 240 pounds. So, so, you know, when he's turning from the shortstop side, from second base, he's looking at you, he's right in front of you, you know, and he would clear himself from the bag, but there was no way I could, you could knock him down, man. Junior. I mean, Cal Ripken junior was a stud. He was a, he was a bad dude. And and he was such a competitor, man. He 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 wanted to beat you in anything. But I never let him live that down. Uh, that I was I went ahead of him in the draft, and that that killed him because because you know I had something over him. And he goes, "Well, you were just better than me at that age." And I go, "Darn tootin', Fig Newton." And he goes, "He he didn't have to say, look at me now. I'm a Hall of Famer, and you're a utility player." <laughs> but 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 it was uh, that was part of the fun of it too. So Orioles didn't work out there. Lots of times you go to different places and it's the wrong place, wrong time. Orioles, Cal Ripken Jr., Billy Ripken, his dad, uh, after Earl retired, his dad took over. I mean, it was not a place for me. So I went from there to the Expos. That's where I, I really started to rise. Buck Rogers, and then uh, Buck Rogers came on, and I stayed there a couple of years, and Delano DeShields came, and thankfully he moved me to the Cardinals. And when he traded me to the Cardinals, man, that was awesome. Whitey Herzog traded for me. So I got to play for the White Rat. The white, white rat quit after a month. He quit. He had had enough. That was, you know, Coleman and Pendleton and McGee and all those great players he had were, were, were at the end of their, their uh, contracts and they were all up. And so Whitey said, I'm going to call it quits. And then Red Shandies took over for two weeks in, in San Diego. And so he, he says, kid, you guys just show up on time and I'll, I'll play you. We'll have fun. And, Heck, they'll get somebody else in here. Just go out and play some hardball. You know, beautiful Red Shaney's old time in his 80s. Uh, and he took over for two weeks, and then a guy named Joe Torrey came, and I got to play for Joe Torrey for for a, a year and a half or so, a couple seasons. And then I went to Japan. They, they sold me to Japan. I came back. I got to play with uh, the Angels. And then Terry Francona, Joe Madden. I got to play for a little bit of Joe Madden with the Angels. And then Tito hired me in Philly at the end of my career. So, yeah. Booney, it's been fun. I was mentored by a lot of great men, baseball men. Uh, you know, uh, Yogi, Billy, Earl, Whitey, Joe, 
Um, just uh, Tito, Tito's going to be a hall of fame manager and I'm so proud of him and what he's done. But, uh, you know, dad, that, people go, Hud, why are you so happy? Why are you like this? And I simply tell them, why shouldn't I be? I've been blessed. And I got a great family. I got four kids. I got a wife that loves me for who I am. And, and, and I get to go to the ballpark. And, and so really, why shouldn't I be? In 93, you played for the Yakult Swallow. I, I want a little bit of what it's like. I've, I've had some buddies of mine, you know, some ex-teammates that did the Japanese thing. They went over and, and played in Japan. What's it like? You hear, uh, you know, the way their culture is. They do things a certain way. And then the American players that come over, kind of a different set of rules. What was your experience for the one year over in, in Japan? Booney was unbelievable. It was incredible. Wow. What an experience. First, they flew me over in November for a tryout. And my agent, Arn Tellum, he calls me and says, hey, Hud, they want to try you out. What? They're going to fly me to Japan for a tryout? Yes. Okay, well, give me a week. Give me a week to brush up here. Let me go run some sprints and take a little BP. Let me, let me brush it up just a little bit, freshen up. So I fly all the way to Japan. I get there. We stay in a... You know, in the South, South Island in Miyazaki, Japan, uh, I'm in a little hotel room. I go to the ballpark, and they give me a uniform, and I dress out, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm exercising, and, and with them, and and there's fi- uh, they're 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 fighters, they're Japanese uh, airline air, air, airplanes, those zeros, you know, that had the sun on the side. They would be flying over us, and over our heads, and I'm 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 thinking to myself, wow, uh, you're in the you're in the Japanese military, man. This is radical because, you know, baseball is kind of like that. They're very disciplined and very strict. They have their own rules They're They have, um, they're meticulous as far as the fundamentals go in the game and pitching out and throwovers and, 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 you know, little things that are involved in the game like that. So I went, I was done. I did. I took some batting practice, a little inner squad for a week. And then I'm, I'm in the lineup. Uh, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to the coaches. And I saw the manager, Katsuya Nomura. He's a, a famous Japanese um, uh, player, the only player in history of baseball to catch over 3,000 games. So he was one of their guys, like Sadahata O. He was, he was a national figure, but he, he hated Americans. He wouldn't thrill with Americans. And so I got up to him and I said, sir, if I don't make your team, thank you for, for, for giving me a week in Japan. Man, I loved it. Your food was fantastic. Your hotels. And, you know, the people I saw were all really friendly. Thanks for having me. So I got on the plane, flew back home, and my agent called me up on Thanksgiving Day and said, Hud, they want you. They want to give you a million dollars for one year. I said, what? We are in. I had just come off a couple of contracts making three hundred grand, which was good summer pay. Now, I'm not complaining, but nothing like this. So I took my wife, and we went to Japan. And, man, I, uh, on the way there, Booney, I saw Mr. Baseball, the movie. That's when Tom Selleck was, uh, uh, went to Japan and played baseball, and they made a movie about it. So I'm watching this on the way over there, and it, it was really interesting. And then having a nine-month experience over there was incredible. They, they, they expected, you know, Americans hit one through four in the lineups there, and you're a paid uh, hired gun. Because, so if, you, if you're an American and you don't hit in that top four spot, something's wrong. So I missed a sign. I was hitting second. They banished me to the eighth hole. I hit in front of the pitcher. And, and, and this was early in spring, and I'm thinking, well, he'll move me out of there eventually. And he never did. He banished me to the eight hole for, the, for nine months. I hit eighth. 
and I hit 300. But you know what though? Early on, he'd call me in and he would, and he, and there would be issues. And my interpreter would be standing there and I'd be looking at my, my manager and he'd be going, rah, 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 rah. I mean, he'd be talking in Japanese. And I looked at my interpreter and I said, he don't look too happy. What the heck? And uh, what's he saying? And he says, you're the reason we're losing. And I said, wow, all that for that? Um, tell him I'm getting used to his game. Don't you dare send me home. I want to play here. I'm going to help you win a title, a championship here. Stay with me. I'm getting used to your game. And I bowed to him. And, and as I bowed, under my breath, I said, just keep sending that check home, buddy. Thank you for the check. And I would, I would, I would buy, buy. And then so I go out to, and we played, and I finally got used to their game. Their fans were great. They had a band in the outfield that played, that played every, the whole game. When, that, when a player would come up, they would start his own song. He had his own, own song. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, Jack, my only other teammate on the team, American teammate, was Jack Howell. And he played third. And I'd yell across the diamond, Jack, turn the music off, man. It's killing me. You know, and he, he'd just say, Hud, you, you can't change it, man. You're not going to change their game. So I just got used to the little things that they did. And, of course, we, we'd show up at the ballpark, Booney, at, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and the, and the Japanese had been on the field for two hours already, working out for a 6 o'clock game. So they worked, worked, and worked. And we were kind of used to our own, our own gig. So they knew that. They weren't going to overwork us. So me and Jack would just show up. And no media was allowed in the locker room. And that was really special. That was nice. You know, you could tell the players got, had some freedom in there. Uh, and, and I think, you know, Major League Baseball could probably uh, use that here as well to give the players a little bit more comfort. But just really enjoyed. Uh, I remember we had Mondays off. And I was, we were on an artificial turf field. And it was kind of in the summer, there's typhoons that come in. So they kind of have a block of uh, games that are all, all already called off. So we're doing a little pole-to-pole conditioning, just the team, no coaches, just the teams out there. And there was a, an earthworm on the, on the artificial turf. And Jack Howell, uh, he, he, he knew that I ate a June bug for the Cardinals for money back in the States. And so he went over and he picked up this earthworm, and he's, and he's telling the Japanese players, hey, HUD will eat this worm if you pay him. He'll eat the worm. And I'm 800 myself, bucks. Oh. Yeah, mentally, mentally, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not prepared to do this. And so he says, how much you give him? You give him Japanese, yen, yen, how much yen? And so, gosh, they, he raised about a 1000 bucks up in America. And, and I said, he goes, oh, come on, man, they're going to pay you. And I, so I just reached over and I, I, I opened my mouth and he dropped that earthworm in there and I chewed it up. And I dropped on the ground and started doing push-ups and looking at him, going and, and kind of we're kind of freaking him out a little bit, having fun with him, just for the morale, just to make him laugh. That was what it was all about, just to laugh. And sure enough, they all laughed. I didn't think they would get a big deal out of that because they eat a lot of strange things over there. But but they they <laughs> definitely freaked out. So so it's over. I got the workout's over. I walk outside and there's a hundred photographers taking my picture, and I'm like going, uh oh, what happened? And then I figured out somebody told him I ate the earthworm. And so I had a toothpick in my coat pocket and I pulled out the, the, the toothpick and I started picking my teeth from that. Oh, oishi, oishi. And they were cracking up laughing, just taking shots. 
and they have seven major newspapers in Tokyo. And the next day I was on the cover of every one of them. Crazy American eats worm. And, and they, and that's what and they, they called it. Mimizu, Mimizu. So they would say Mimizu man. Hey, Mimizu man. And, and so they would, they, they would yell that. So they never forgot me. It's been 20 something years and they still remember me for eating the earthworm. Not the Japan World Series we won. We beat them. We beat Cebu in seven games, Booney. Now, that's a long story about my Japanese year, but, man, nine months on their soil. By the time I left, I was a, a Japanese player in an American body, and so I was trained. We won the series, and I hit 300. You would think that would warrant a, another, another year or a two-year deal. No, they fired me. I went back, and I think it's the only time I ever cried when I got fired, and I got fired a lot. And, man, so I'm like, oh, man, are you sure, God? He goes, no, I wanted to brush you up. You told me you wanted 10 years in the big leagues. Now you needed to play. You needed to get brushed up in Japan. So then I came back to the States, Booney, and the ball looked like a beach ball. I killed it. I had my best years in my mid-30s. So my year in Japan probably was my best summer out of the 21 years. Yeah, you come back to the Angels. You did. 94, you hit 298. 96, you hit 311. You hit 16 bombs, Hud. Can you believe that, man? That, they must have moved the fences in then. It was, it was crazy, though, Booney. It, but it was because of the reps I got in, in Japan. It was because everybody over there threw a split finger. They all threw off speed. They didn't have a lot of 90-mile-an-hour, you know, 90-plus throwers. But so I spread out a little bit at the plate, you know, got a good base and just kind of learned how to use the whole field. And then when I came back to the big leagues, Man, it, 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 that's what I needed. I needed to get that so I could get my full pension in, and I'm forever grateful that God, uh, I let him uh, be the driver in my life. Um, and lots of times I drove early. I drove in the front, and he sat in the back, and he didn't like it that way. He wanted to sit in the driver's seat, and he says, Hud, you get in the back seat, I'll drive you. And that's exactly what he did. He took me to some really good places. Very cool. That, that's, that's a good lesson for everybody out there listening, too. Yeah, sometimes we got to get out of the driver's seat. Uh, during those angel years too, you became a personality on Jim Rome. Is that where the HUD we see today came from? It's di- or did it start oh, there? Or was it always there? Oh, Booney, Booney, that was such a blessing. Um, you know what? I, I remember I was new to the angels. Um, they, they, he had a show down there, you know, Rome, Jim Rome show, uh, uh, the jungle. Grab a vine. Me, I remember. He asked me to be on his show and I told him, sure. And we were up in Toronto, okay, and it was at a certain time. And I went to the ballpark. You know, we were, we were three hours ahead. And I went to the ballpark, and I saw my name in the lineup, so I got excited, and I forgot about everything. I, I, so I blew the interview off. I, not, not knowing, I just, I just forgot. I was so excited about playing. Um, and so that night, that, that date during BP, me and Marcel Latchman, our manager, was running for a ball in the artificial turf field. Uh, during BP, and he had his fungo, and I reached down. I was running to, to pick up the ball, and he, he tried to knock it out of the way, and his, his fungo slipped, tripped me, and I landed on my shoulder and, and dislocated my clavicle. Um, uh, just a freak accident. So I got hurt, and then, the, and then so the next, so we get home. Two or three days later, we get home, um, and, and the clubhouse kids from the Angels were saying, hey, uh, this guy Jim Rome, he's all over you. He's you blew out you blew him off in the show and on, on his radio show you didn't do it and so therefore the jungle brought you down the karma the karma brought you down because you you blew the jungle off 
you know, so he was basically saying that he's powerful, and because I didn't come on his show, I got hurt. So I said, give me this guy. Give me his number. I'm getting on with it. So I called Romy, you know, from the clubhouse. Hey, Jim, on his show is live. Hey, hey Jim, man, if I would have known the jungle had that kind of power, I would have never missed your show. Oh, my gosh, I was going good. I was actually played 25 games in a row as a record because I was hot. And then you guys shut me down. That'll never happen again, Romy. What can I do for you? So he loved that. Instead of me, you know, bagging him, I loved on him in the program. And he said, Hud, here's the hotline. Whenever you have a story, call us, tell a story. Because he didn't know, he was wondering, who the heck is this guy? No, he he didn't know my personality. He didn't know any of that. So I kind of blew him away a little bit. And then as the... As the years went on, I got to share with stories and, and different things. And facing Randy Johnson, Booney, I had a lot of fun facing that dude, man. That was great. Uh, so I would call him up and share little confrontations like that. Um, and then, you know, my son was born, my firstborn son. And, and he, right as soon as he was born, like within an hour, I called the jungle live in the morning. And I said, hey, Romy, I just got to tell you, man, there's a new HUD in town. I just had my first son. And, and, and Romy goes, well, Hud, well, how's he look? And I'm looking at him. I go, Romy, he's, he looks great. He's hung like a mule. And, <laughs> and so he, 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 we all cracked up. We laughed. My wife looked at me, and, and, and she just uh, stared daggers down my neck. But, but anyway, we didn't know at the time, but Kate had Down syndrome. Okay, we didn't know that at the time. We took him home, and, and after two days, three days of having him home, the doctor called me and said, hey, Hud, you have a, ch- a child that's test positive for Down syndrome. And I go, what? Where, where's the owner's manual? What are you telling me? What the heck? What do you mean? And so that, so that story got out. Delta Sky Magazine did an article on me. So I'd signed with the Philadelphia Phillies as a free agent. So Delta Sky Magazine, you know how they put their own magazines in their airplanes? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was I was on the cover. Now I don't know why they were obviously didn't have anything else to, sh- to put in there, but they put me on the cover. And I show in inside on the article I talked about my son Cade and how he was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And so Romy read that and he saw that he, and he's saying, "Oh, huh, that's the Mule Boy." So he called Cade the Mule Boy for the longest time. And then when he found out that we that Cade had a had an extra chromosome, so he had me come in to the jungle. As we opened the, the uh, series, when I traded to the uh, when I went to the Phillies, we opened up against the Dodgers, and so I went in to Romy's studio in L.A. with my full Philly uniform on, and and we just talked about it, uh, and I shared openly about having having a little boy with a disability, and and so it just opened up so many uh, avenues, and the jungle was kind of a rough place, you know, it was kind of a rough rough uh, uh, talk show, but you know it softened it up a little bit, and. And he said that he's never really uh, uh, asked anybody about their personal life. But the fact that I could share my personal side with him and, 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 and do things, that opened up a lot of doors, Booney. And so, so for, I'm, I'm, I'm in debt to Romy in the jungle. It was so fun to be able to get my start. And then when my career was over, the Angels called me and said, Hey, Hud, we want you to be our broadcaster. I'll tell you what, you, and you've been an inspiration uh, with all the work you've done and, and the awareness you've brought to the, the Down syndrome. You've raised a ton of money for kids and all because of your son, Cade, and, and you know, him being born with it. Um, 
Romy, Romy, it makes a lot of sense because I, I had a little bit of a different run in with Jim Rome because you remember back in those days, yet the jungle was tough. And it's like if he didn't like you or he wanted to get on you, you'd hear about it all the time. And and Jim, that was a huge right. show. And I remember, you know, he used to remember I used to have the my my hair highlighted blonde, the blonde tips. That was kind of my thing in oh, Seattle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, would Romy would always, and I wouldn't do his show. And you're right. If you don't do his show, he gets on you even harder. So <laughs> something happened. Uh, I forget what it was, but it was something that happened in, in Pebble Beach in Vegas that it got blown out of proportion and it was not true. And Romy's reporting on it like I'm this savage flipping golf cart. So I finally say, all right, I've never talked to Rome live. And I got a hold of his cell phone. I said, tell him I want to talk to him. And I called him personally off air. And we talked about it. And, you know, I came at him real aggressively. How the hell could you be reporting this BS and this and that? And we talked it out and I explained everything to him. Then the facts started rolling in. He realized that you know, what he was, the information he was getting was wrong. We ended up having a great conversation. And from that day on, it's like, yeah, me and Romy are cool. And for a long time, it was like, I don't like that guy. He calls easily. I'm the guy with the frosted tips. Doesn't he know it's just a shtick of mine. And, uh, but yeah, so, so similar worlds crossed, but, but different. You were kind of his guy that, that came in, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been inspirational. Like I said, all the work you've done, all the money you've raised, uh, in the community. So, uh, yeah. Booty, booty, pretty, we're, pretty we're, I always have, we always, uh, bought a house wherever we lived so we could get involved in the communities. And so we've done that forever. And, you know, I, I got to share with you, though, you know, it's a 10 year. It was a rough beginning in my baseball career having to do 10 years, but it wasn't that way on the media side. In 1997, I'm with the Philadelphia Phillies. OK, um, I'm getting oh, I, I had some leg issues, some hamstring problems. I'm in my, you know, 35, 36, 37 years old. And uh, the Good Morning America came to do a, 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 a piece on what you what the Philadelphia Phillies um what are we playing for because we were 35 games out before the all-star break that's how bad our team was and so they they were, were going to do a special on what motivates you and so they asked Kurt Schilling and Darren Dalton and and uh some of the star players on the team Mickey Morandini you know what they thought and all that and when they came to me I got a little offended by that by that question what motivates me I'm sorry, but these people here, a lot of them can't afford a ticket, but they come to the game to watch us play 100% and go. We only know one speed, and I'm a little bit surprised that you guys would even come here and waste your time. Anyway, I kind of let them have it uh, on the air. And then I, then during the game, I accidentally hit a homer, a game-winning homer off of Tom Glavin. So then they asked me, hey, will you be on, this, on the show with us in the morning? And I go, well, yeah, what time? Six o'clock. Ooh, six o'clock. Ooh, okay, ABC, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I showed up at six o'clock in my suit and, and they told me to bring a, my fielder's glove. So they did a little thing. They did their show. They did their little, their tapes stuff they did the day before. And then they interviewed me and Hey, you won the game and good job. Yeah. Hey, the fanatics here, he wants to shoot your hot dog. So I go out on the field and I'm 37. I'm, I'm stiff. My legs been, been a little bit sore. He shoots me this, this hot dog out of his Oscar Meyer Wiener hot dog shooting thing. You know, that thing he's got, the, the yeah. fanatic. Yeah. 
So he shoots it. I'm thinking maybe it's going to shoot 10, 20 feet in the air. That thing shot a half a mile in the air. And I'm, I'm looking up in the sky trying to find it, and, I, and, and it's drifting on me. So I took off. I had to run and basket catch the hot dog. And so I get back to the live, live TV at home plate, and everyone's dying laughing. The producer's on the ground. The cameraman's laughing. And, and I'm like, what happened? What, what, what did I do wrong? What, what, what? And they just said, no, that's great TV. So they liked it. And a week, two weeks later then, two weeks later, ABC calls me and says, hey, we, we want you to be a correspondent with Charles Gibson for the postseason. We want you to do postseason games with him, like, like your little wrap-ups. And I said, what? Why would you think of me? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a no-name guy. I'm just a utility player here in Philly. They said, well, we were thinking about using Ryan Sandberg or Kirby Puckett or some big names, but we want you. How come? Because we like your personality. And I said, wow, okay, I'm in. So I got to spend the postseason in 1997 doing wrap-ups with Charles Gibson in the morning. He would come on and say, hey, Charles, we played last night. Here, this happened, that happened. Just little goofy stuff I would do. And then, you know, we had a lot of fun doing that, and we did it for the humor side. There was a lot of fun, funny stories between interaction between me and the players and stuff. And then in January, they wanted me to cover the Super Bowl, so I got to go cover the Super Bowl for, for Good Morning America. And so that was how I got started. And then I retired in 98, and then in 99, I was in the Angel booth. So there's a lot of, of wonderful uh, reasons that I've been able to get to this place and it's because of opportunities that were was presented earlier, and I simply said, yes, I'll be happy to come on. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do whatever you'd like me to do. So having a heart like that opened the door for me to, to become a, a broadcaster for two teams now in, in 11 years with each team and a world championship with each team. Gosh, it's a lot of fun going to the ballpark. And it's all, it's all back to what Dave Winfield told you as a kid. Keep your options right. open. Always, always be kind to to that guy that you least expect. And in the end, the the, the doors are open. You're you're leaving one uh, one life, which is basically being a big league player. You're retiring, and you're headed to another. You get that that shot with the Angels. I remember, and HUD. Now I'm thinking back. All those games on. I don't. I, I'm not a gamer, so. So correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's PX1, whatever the hell it is, but I hear the I hear Hudler all the time doing those shows, doing the doing the voiceovers for the games. I mean, you were on it like four or five, six years. Oh, that was so fun. That was Sony. That was uh that was called uh that was the MLB the show. You know, it's still they still have it. It comes out every year. Yeah, you and Vascursion. Vascursion was doing it too. Yeah, and they let me they let me uh, be myself and use my own lines. So so that was fun. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And then they would have a guy in their way, you know, in the room, and they had a stack of paper. That took me three days. So we we would go down to San Diego and we'd read. And then next thing you know, they would come out and and I I enjoyed uh, uh, my own commentary. Like if a guy took a ball down the middle, I'd say, "What are you looking for? You better hack, or they'll send you back." Let's go, meet. <laughs> You know, so I, I could, I could, I could actually brag. I could do color commentating the way I really would like to do it. But you know, nowadays you can't, you can't say all that about a player. So, but I could on the video games, and and so I, I'd come 
I'd, uh, I'd show up at a ballpark and there would be a kid come running down uh, the aisle. And he'd say, hey, Han, you told me you got to go. You told me to swing the bat. You know, so they liked it. I think the people liked uh, me, me calling them out you know, for, not, for not swinging or anything like that. So it was just fun to be able to uh, put, throw your own personality in there. Mooney, I'm glad you remember that. That was a lot of fun. I remember this, too. When I, when I found out uh, we were having Rex on the show, I went back to some of our videos, and I said, I got to get some. I, I want to listen to them just to refresh my memory uh, of my days playing against the Angels when you're announcing. And I heard you a couple times. I had a home run, and you said something like, it's smattered and battered. You remember those? Battered. You remember those calls? I remember it. <laughs> yeah, that ball's not walking. That, no, that ball is tattered and battered and not coming back. Yeah, yeah, as fun. you now, hit one into the rocks at Anna, at Anaheim yeah. Stadium or whatever they call it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you know that's not even the play-by-play call. Uh, I I got the I was the color guy, so I kind of get the replay. But but uh, the, I had time to get stuff in, and I still do, and it's so much fun. And you know, uh, Booney, I love players uh, on the other team too. And I'm a I am a, a Royals broadcaster. Um, and I do Homer a little bit for our team, but I have respect for guys, and I, I don't I don't ever use the word scared. Uh, I don't use uh, some some words that that would be offensive to a big leaguer because because I was once one. So if I'm going to use the dialogue against a player or 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 when I'm using it in my commentary, it's going to be uh, on the flattering side. It's not it's not going to be. I'm not going to degrade a guy. Because I remember, I was no expert. And when you get to the booth, you'd be surprised how, how easy it looks. And all of a sudden, you're talking about it every night. And you're doing 162 games a year. And, you know, and you, next thing you know, you forget how, how mediocre you were. I was a, I was a 262 career hitter. And, 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 a, and a, just a, a blue-collar guy. So what am I going to become some expert up in the booth now? Uh-uh. I'm going to say the same guy. I'm going to give love to both teams. And I'm going to appreciate the game and, and, and keep in mind to promote the game. And I'm not going to bag the umpire either. Okay, I'm not going to bag an umpire. We have fun with them. I have an open dialogue with them. I get to go down to their locker room, and they let me in. And, and so we talk, and we have fun. I go, hey, fellas, man, you guys need some love on the air? I'll be happy to give you some love. And then, hey, tell me about the play last night. I didn't know anything about that. So you're, I'm constantly learning the game of baseball through the players, um, through the umpires. And, you know, all the participants in it. So why would I bag it when, when I'm, I'm promoting it? That's what we do. It's so much fun. Tell me if you're like me. And I'm, and I'm even getting caught up in it. Because, you know, as players, people always ask, uh, you know, what is it like, the umpires and this, that. I said, I'll tell you what a good umpire is. A good umpire is somebody that establishes their zone early in the game and sticks with that zone. I said I had some umpires that they'd give a little bit more up and down. Some that would make that outside corner was a little wider. But as long as he let me know, I knew the rules, and he's going to give me a little on the inner half. There is no perfect strike zone for the human brain. We can do as, as good as we can, but there's that human element. Nowadays, and it drives me crazy. And, you know, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I'd like to say, could someone please take that stupid box and throw it away. It's causing too many arguments. Now everybody can sit home on their couch and yell. If, if they see that ball, tick the line. I don't know what they call it. You know, you watch it every single night. But people oh. don't realize 
that's not in context. You have to put it in context. That's not a real box. That's for entertainment value. And I see the reason they're doing it, but it's driving me crazy because now all of a sudden everybody is an expert And man. If it, if it's outside that line by a centimeter, you've got the Twitter world saying what a bad umpire he is. We never had that problem because we didn't have that box pretty much framing our, our work. And now you're seeing, a lot more people that are that are disgruntled with the umpires where these guys are doing the best job they can. And it's just that computer box is really skewing all of us. And for me, who I who I consider, you know, I think highly of myself and my astuteness when it comes to the game of baseball. But I even find myself now getting caught up in that stupid box. And I'll go, oh, that hit the oh, what am I doing? And I'll take a breath and I'll go, wait a minute. I'm getting caught up in the box now. Is it is it me being crazy or is that something that's that's uh, kind of hitting all of us? Oh, you hit that right on the head. No, my partner and I, Ryan Lefevre, he's been doing the, he's been broadcasting for 22 years, 23 years, you know, and then when they brought this box in, you know, it's, it was for, you know, people at home, you know, just to kind of give them an idea about a strike zone. They, they had no idea it was going to cause an uproar. And, you know, I, we, we don't let it bother us now because there's nothing we can do about it. We just talk, call, we talk to the umpires. It bothers them, too. I mean, imagine the umpire. He, he, he's sensitive that he's got his, his night is already lined up in a little box, and, and now he's going to get ridiculed by that. But, you know, they, they, they're kind of used to that form of life, that style. But having a relationship with them is really fun. And before the games, you know, I'll be in the booth, and they're, they're passing the lineup cards out, and, and I, I like to – raise the roof and I like to flex on them, flex a muscle here or there and, and, and be animated when, to, to them when they're at home plate and they look up in the booth and it's fun. It's fun to have a relationship with those guys, man. And I never really did as a player, but, but it's, I, I'm able to learn so much from them and uh, everybody who's around the game, Booney, but, but, but having an opportunity with you today to be able to share some of these things, man, I really appreciate that. It's, it's fun to, to tell stories, man, especially to somebody who's experienced like you. Uh, when you first got in the booth, being a guest and, and you, you know, you, we've chronic, we've, we've kind of, set aside what, what you did before you got in the booth. You did the Jim Rome show. You did a ton of, of interviews. All of a sudden, being in the booth, bringing the game to, to, the, to the viewing public, it's a different animal than, than asking questions in the, in the comfy couch. Um, was that an easy transition for you? Now, I'm finding being on this side of the mic uh, a little bit now, later in my life, uh, there's a technique to it. There's, you got to practice. You got to get your reps in. How was it for you just going from uh, HUD getting interviewed by people, having that kind of really colorful personality to now? Yeah, I can still have that personality, but now I'm bringing the game to you. Well, it's a great question, Brett. Um, it's like I was mentored by, by the many great managers I, I played for. I picked up little thing from every one of them. Um, Steve Fiziak, a real professional broadcaster, was the was the uh, Angels broadcaster at the time, and so they they flew. I was in Philly, and they flew me out to to Los Angeles to sit on the Fox set and to do a practice game just so they could get an idea who I was. And so I get in there, and I know Fiz because Fiz broadcasted uh, a year or two of mine before I went to Philly with the Angels. So, and he's a real classy guy, real fun guy real professional. 
And so we're sitting there on, on, in a booth in a studio, and they show us a big screen TV, and they turn this game on. And I'm like, okay, what are we, what are we doing? And Physiocchi says, hey, hud, we'll just do the game. I'll set, I'll set you up, man. Just, you know, just, just pretend like this is a game, a live game in front of us. So I remember uh, the Giants were playing, and they just picked some random game. And Alan Watson, he was a left-handed pitcher. You remember him? He might have been before you. No, uh, no. Okay, I, I Alan Watson. Him. Yeah, yeah, he was a left-hander. And um, he was throwing, you know, and then he, he got a guy on, and then there's a couple guys on, and then he, but he kept throwing. He kept trying to pick off the runner at first base. And I'm going, hey, yeah, that guy, if you take your thoughts off that hitter for that many throwovers to first, that hitter can hurt you. And the next pitch, whack, he hits a three-run homer. So, and, and that's, a, that's like calling it right, right when it happens. That happens maybe once a year for me now, maybe twice a year. You'll hit on a guy. You'll hit on a homer or something. But that was my tryout. And I hit a homer in the, in the second inning I did, and they came in and they said, hey, we've seen enough. Thanks. We'll see you opening day. So they didn't give me any lessons or nothing in the offseason. I showed up, and, man, there's a box there, you know. So Steve Fiziok, he helped me get through it. I had, I had uh, uh, the great legendary um, Sparky Anderson was the, was the color commentator before me. And he's the greatest manager, Hall of Fame manager, great human being. You know, but, but my style was different. And, and Physioc encouraged me, Hud, you've got to be yourself. I know it's a lot for people, but you've got to be yourself. We're going to lose a lot of games this year. This was in 99. We're going to lose a lot of games. I believe we did. We lost 95 games or 96 games. He goes, so bring your personality out. Be yourself. Don't be afraid. So it was tough for people to stomach. Because, you know, being a guy like me who's happy and who bounces, has ADD, a bounce all over the walls and everything, you know, that can be a little tough for people to, to, to swallow. So I just, uh, I just kept my, 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 my nose to the grindstone. I kept uh, talking about baseball, what I knew. And then I've kind of eventually learned how to, when, when to, when not to, how to say it, when, you know, all the little nuances of the game. But the main thing is you have to be who you are. You got to be yourself. You can't try to be Vince Scully. You can't try to be, um, you know, Matt Viscursion. You can't be, you know, you got to be who you are. And that helped me a lot. Steve Fiziok, he, I've been working together with him for 22 years now, 11 with the angels, 11 with the Royals now. And, and, having he and Ryan Lefevre partners, play-by-play guys that are real professionals that carry the show, and then they let me tag it here and there. That's what makes it go round. It's a team. It's a teamwork effort, and it's a lot of fun working with these, with these great professional broadcasters. As you mentioned, you've, you've been a part of two broadcast teams that, that won World Series. Uh, it was the 2002. I want to talk about both of them, then I'll let you out of here. Um, Early 2000s, that was kind of that was my time in Seattle. That was kind of the heyday of the American League West. We had those Oakland A's and and Anaheim and and the Mariners, and it was kind of a round robin. 2001, we did it. 2002, you guys end up winning the World Series. I remember those teams. That was Mike Sosha's team, and you had that old school. Uh, if if we're allowed to say that nowadays, coaching staff. You had Mickey Hatcher and Buddy Black. I think was a part of that staff. Yeah, and that was Gl- Gloss and Erstat and Salmon and uh, Molina Eckstein playing short. I remember Eckstein when he first came to the big leagues. You know, and I was a veteran and. He would walk and he would sprint to first base, and next time we get to second, I go. I said, David, come here. It's a walk. <laughs> it's not a run. It's not a sprint. 
you know, and I'm kind of half kidding. And he, and he looks at me, he's like, Booney, that's just the way I've always done it. <laughs> and from then on, yeah. he was a, he was a pain in the neck for us. That team, that social team, they ran the bases, Rex, they ran the bases so good. I remember having meetings when we come play Anaheim. I said, listen, the difference between the angels and every other team in baseball is they will run you in the dirt. And they will run right in your face, and they won't stop. They're going to put all the pressure on the defense. I've always been a huge proponent of that, and I don't see it enough in today's game. These outfielders that you have, these you know, now we have the the red, the green, and the and the yellow arm, and they put it on you know on the broadcast. Oh, he's got a red. That means don't run. I'll tell you what: you run in their face and constantly put pressure. You'll find out how unaccurate these arms are but they're not used to being run on because they have that reputation of that great arm man i love that about that socia socia ran anaheim teams uh but talk about the 2002 year and that ride you guys had it was pretty awesome you came from i think we were leading at the break you chased us down that was i think the year that the a's won like 19 games in a row you guys had some silly amount in a row you won you ended up winning the world series take me through that 2002 season yeah that streak uh, the oakland a's put together was 19 or 20 games and the angels had a 18 19 game winning streak too at the same time so they couldn't separate they couldn't separate us we had a a lot a ton of come from behind wins that was the year the rally monkey was born my favorite, by college, the way. My favorite. Yeah. Some, co- okay, some college intern mistakenly put this monkey on the board when we were down by three runs in the ninth inning. This b- monkey comes jumping on the board. We came back and won and won the game, and that was the rally monkey was born. So they had, like, something. You, we can look it up officially. Now Now you can look up everything. We had, like, 50 or 45, 40-something come from behind wins, which is a, a great characteristic for a championship team, being in every game, never believing you're out of it. When you're down, you're like, oh, we got it right where we want them. So I remember talking about that. I remember the, how they ran, like you said. They, they led the league in steals. They hit and ran. Their, their DH, Brad Fulmer, he ran. He stole 20 bases. I mean, it was incredible how they worked. Of course, the defense was good. You had Garrett Anderson in left, Erstad in center. The Kingfish, Tim Salmon in right, and Spezio played first base. Kennedy at second, Eckstein at short, and Gloss at third, and Molina behind the plate. And we had plenty of power to spread around. And and just the fact that that uh, they grinded it out, um, got to they, they were a wild card winner. They won the wild card, and then they went on and and uh, played the Giants. And man, they're come from behind a win in Game Six. That shut them down, man. Barry Bonds, that was his only chance to win a World Series with the Giants. And uh, we, we, we came, we were down four runs in, the, in game six. And that was, that all they had to do was win one more game. And Dusty Baker came out and took the ball from Russ Ortiz and then handed it back to him and said, here, take this souvenir home. You know, you're going to be the winner today. Uh-uh. Angels came back and beat them. And then in game seven, they just cakewalked them. Garrett, hit a, Garrett Anderson hit a, hit a basis-clearing uh a double that it was they were loaded, and that was it. And I remember the next year, going up to San Francisco, and I played against Barry in his in his uh, uh, early years in Pittsburgh, and so I, I knew him. We were competitors, so I went into his broadcast or into his uh, his um, locker room, and he had a big lounge chair there. You know, Barry Bonds. This is my my lounge chair. He's asleep. He's taking a nap, and I walk in there and I punched his shoulder. Wake up, meet. I got something to show you. And I had the World Series ring that the Angels won 
and beat his team. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, 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 what do you got? I go, I hand him, I hand him my ring. And he took that ring and he looked at it. He stared at it and he held it up and he looked at it again and, and he put it on his finger and then he, and he took it off and he handed it to me and he goes, okay, hud, now you can leave. (laughs) (laughs) But he was humbled. He was humbled by the ring that he could have had. It was so close. And you know, how many of those do you get a chance to do? You know, it's hard. It's hard to win. I didn't, I, I didn't get to play on one playoff team. For, for, you know, because back then we didn't have any wild cards or anything. You had to win the division. So that was a moment I wanted to share with Barry. And not, not rub it in his face, but just, just kind of love on him a little bit. And he took it the right way. But he never was a world champion. Yeah, it, it is. You, you hit it on the head. It is hard. And, and some unbelievable – I mean, Barry Bonds is the greatest – maybe the, the greatest player ever to play. Never won a ring. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I don't know, maybe it gets old, but it never gets old with me. I always say, I said every year, you know, I watch that World Series team, whoever wins it, and I watch them celebrate. And I just think, I hope they appreciate how much I'm sitting here appreciating that because I know how hard it is. And some of the, you know, I played with Kenny, Kenny Griffey, never Mm -hmm. got to a World Series. One of the greatest players of our generation. Never even got to one, let alone win one. You know, you're watching right now, Mike Trout. I don't know that he's ever been in the postseason, the best player in Major League Baseball. It is so hard. It's such a flea. Some guys, uh, they were at right place, right time, and they've got four or five rigs. Man, I'm envious of them because I know, you know, I got I, know. A, I got a chance to play in one World Series in 1999, and we got whooped by the, uh, by the New York Yankees. But I got there, and I knew what it was like. I was on the cusp. And, and didn't quite get it done. It is something. And, and I think you put it in, in the correct uh, breath, which it, it's a humbling time. That, Barry seeing that ring, as great and as mighty as he was at that time, he didn't have that ring. And, and it is very humbling. Yeah, yeah it was hard. Was, you know what, though, I knew him. And, and I, when I went in there that day, it wasn't to, to rub it in his face. He took it like I, like I meant it to. I just wanted to share it with him. And he, and he looked at it and he just sat there with it for probably five minutes staring at it. And, you know, and, and, and just to be able to have been a part of some of that stuff, you know, and if I was a player, I, you don't go in the other, uh, other players' uh, uh, locker room. But as a broadcaster, that pass I wear around my neck, I can go in the other, uh, the other uh, uh, rooms, the other, other teams' uh, locker room, and I can meet these guys and I get to know them. And it's so fun to be able to to have broadcasted their entire careers, you know, judges, uh, the, you know, the, the CC Sabathia and and uh, Pedroia, um, your career. I mean, you know, see, like uh, it's twenty two years for me now, and and it's really really fulfilling to be able to get to meet these young guys and to be able to to rub elbows with them and and to hear and share their stories on the air with our fans. Uh, to me, that's what grows the game. Uh, 2009 was your last year with, with the angels, uh, 2012 to the present day, uh, you're with the Kansas city Royals. As, as you mentioned, Steve Fiziak being there with you every step of the way, it's gotta be a pretty cool relationship, but compare the, the 2002, and I believe it was a 2015 world series that the, that the Royals won completely different team. And for me, just as a baseball, you know, fan, I, I watched that Royals team. And that was kind of the, the, 
the passing on of the guard, I think, to where power bullpens became the thing of the thing of the present. You know, when we played, yeah, we had some bullpen guys. We had set up guys, a closer. But it seemed to me like that that Royals team, that world championship team, they were the first team that really built their team on that bullpen. And from the fifth inning on, if you didn't have a, if they had a lead, that game was over. It was a, it was very fresh. I remember joining the team in 12. Uh, Frank White was the broadcaster here in Kansas City. He was the color guy. Frank White was one of my heroes. Well, fantastic. Eight-time gold glove second baseman for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, one of, their, one of their, their special players. And, you know, that's why, I mean, how do I get to, I never even played for the Kansas City Royals. How are you a color commentator for a team in an organization that you didn't even play for? The fan base doesn't know you. So that in itself was a miracle. Okay, that they, that they reached out and I was, I was available and, and they reached out and offered me that position. And I, and I, I got to meet Dayton Moore, a quality human being. Their whole organization is fantastic people. They treat you just how you want to be treated. And I said, Dayton, how, how, what, when's, when's, when is this team that you, that you have now going to be mature and going to win? And he said, Hud, we hope I'm in 14. We hope they're ready in 14. So they all came up together in, in 11. They're homegrown, most of them. Um, were, were, were the uh, um, Royals, Salvador Perez, Hosmer. Uh, they they, they uh, traded Zach Greinke for uh, Lo, Lorenzo Cain and Kelvin Escobar. Um, uh, oh, excuse me, Alcides Al Escobar. That's uh, Kelvin's cousin. Um, and, and, and then they had uh, Alex Gordon in left field. Um, they had all these young, homegrown, talented guys. And I saw them win together. They won in the minors together. Same way with the Angels in 02. They're all home. Most of them are homegrown guys. Salmon, Molina, uh, Gloss, Erstad, Anderson. And here we are in 15, and it's the same deal. These are all homegrown guys. And they're young, and guess what? They ran. They ran. They, they stole bases. They pressured defenses. They were last in the league in homers. Okay. So you say, well, how do you win a World Series or go to the World Series if you can't hit home runs? Well, you manufacture runs. You put guys in motion. You, you slap runs behind them. You, you, you bunch of singles. When, when you hit an infield ball and you have speed, the, the, the fielder feels the pressure and he throws the ball away. That's a rally for the Royals. So both teams winning World Series were similar. They had no power and they had great defense. They pitched and they could – now, we didn't have great starting pitching either, but you mentioned we had a lockdown bullpen, man. We had, we had Wade Davis. Who, we had Kelvin Herrera. We had Greg Holland. And we had some guys that could just flat-out pitch and shut down games. And, and so it was over. And then, you know, 14, they made it. The, the, the wild card, they won the, – beat the A's in, in, in 16, 14 innings. I can't remember how many innings it took. And they, they beat them. We went on to Anaheim. And, yes, to answer your question about Mike Trout, he was in the playoffs for only three games because the Royals went in there and swept two. In, in, in Anaheim, and then they came to our house, and we beat them there. So three, and you're done. We swept them out. Trout didn't do jack. He didn't do. He didn't sniff. And and so the Royals went on and and went to the World Series in 14. Okay, now they got beat by by Madison Bumgarner. That's all there is to it. We was that unbelievable? That that was yeah. that's one of the the biggest feats I've ever seen in the game. 
what Bumgarner did. I, I didn't mean to get off topic, but you brought, oh, you brought no, that no, up. No, no, no. So this, I'm just kind of recapping 15 for you. Uh, it was, I mean, for 14. But then 15, okay, I, I, went in, I went in the locker room after game seven and 14 when they lost. They lost. It's over. And I quickly turned around because I didn't want to be in there. It's like somebody died in there. It was mourning. There was grieving. I turned around and left. And so the next spring, I didn't see these guys until six months later, and I go in there in spring training, and I'm looking at them, and they're all sitting there just staring at me, you know, in their lockers. I'm going, and I'm smelling under my armpits like something's wrong. Like, do I stink? I mean, what, what, what's the deal? I mean, what, 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 what is it? And they're just, they're just staring. And I could tell they were pissed from last year that they lost in game seven and that this is going to be the year they were going to win. And sure enough, in 15, they went wire to wire and absolutely dominated baseball. And they captured their crown. They beat the Mets in five. So it was an incredible run. Alex Gordon, I'll never forget him. He won a gold glove in his last year. Uh, Salvador Perez, gold glover, Hosmer, you know, these guys, man, amazing. And now they're in the process of building another one. They got some really good young talent coming, Booney. But to have two rings uh, as a broadcaster, I, I did take the rings when they, when they gave them to me behind my back because I wanted them as a player but never could. So I felt like I cheated my way to a World Series ring. But I'll take it. It's fun. It's so fun, and they're hard to get. And I remember in 14, that American League championship ring is all we got. We missed out on the, on the big one. I took it to Mike Socha the next year, and I said, hey, Socha, check out this second-place ring. And he took a look at that ring that the Royals gave me, and he goes, Hud, there is no such thing as a second-place ring. When you, <laughs> win, when you win the American League, you're beating all those major market teams. You're beating the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays. You're beating all those major teams. So you've really done something if you can win an American League championship. And, and I, never, I never called it a second-place ring again. He's right. It's tough, man. It is so hard to win games, the regular major league game, let alone postseason. But what a blessing that is. Gives you a chance to share with all the people. They're all always calling, wanting to know more about your guys. And it's just an opportunity to, to share with, with the fans, man, every day about being there and, and, and what this guy's like. And just, just it's, it's, it's stimulating, Booney, just like this conversation is with you today, man. Thank you so much. Well, Rex Hudler, it's been a pleasure, man. This has been a lot of fun uh, talking about all. I I love listening to you to this day. Whenever Royals games on, I'll 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 dip <laughs> in. I gotta I gotta get me some Hudler. But uh, yeah, you oh. truly are great guy. Uh, I, I people ask me all the time, has has Rex ever had a bad day? And I said, you know, if I'm sure he does, but he's not going to let you know if he does. I'm sure he's had yeah, a lot. Yeah, no, but, I uh, do. I'm only human, buddy. But look, I just shared with you for all the reasons why. I am like I am. Plus, I, I told you, too, that, that I, the, the, the joy of the Lord is in my heart. So, see, look, when, you, when, you, uh, when you're freed up there, uh, that, that, that takes care of a lot of uh, emotion things, man. So I'm real grateful for that, Booney, but also the friends that I've gotten to meet. And the fact that you let me share my story out there with the people, man, that pumps me up. Well, it's awesome. And I, and I love having you on, man. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks, Booney. And, what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan. 
That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.